This is The Sidebar, a podcast of the New York Association of Black Journalists. In this episode, we'll be looking at the practice of food journalism. Our panelists will share their unique experiences in their journey, including why they opted for a career in food media, what it takes to make it in the food journalism field, and some words of advice for those intending to join their ranks. Welcome everybody to our panel today. It's an amazing day and I have some real amazing people to bring to you and it's just going to be so good for your soul. Trust me, it's going to be good for your soul. Um, Today we're going to be discussing food journalism and creators. I am your host, Adina Bayo. A bit about myself. I am Liberian. I came to, to the United States from West Africa. I was very inspired by my grandmother in a tiny little village in Africa that owned restaurants. I was so inspired by her that I now have over eight restaurants. I have Cornbread Farm to Soul, Urban Vegan, our newest concept we just launched. And we have four IHOP franchises in the Northeast, um, primarily in New York, New Jersey. But enough about me, this is not about me tonight. This is about our amazing, amazing, I mean, you guys have no idea. You're in for a treat. You are in for a wonderful treat. I'm going to start it off by introducing our panelists that join us tonight. Kayla Stewart is an award-winning food and travel writer. She is a columnist at the Bitman Project, and her work has been featured in the New York Times, Southern Foodway Alliance, and the Wall Street Journal, and many other publications. I'm so honored to have you on this panel tonight. Thank you, sis. Jesse Spark is a senior editor at Eater and a host of the One Recipe podcast. His work explores food, culture, and what it tells us about ourselves. His work has appeared in numerous publications, including Bon Appetit, The Kitchen, The New York Times, and many others. When he's not juggling edits and interview, He's probably pressing his beautiful face against a bakery pastry case like, oh, what is that? I love it. (laughs) And last but not least, the beautiful and gorgeous Janae Claiborne, who is a vegan chef, a blocker, and an amazing one at that, okay? The author of the Sweet Potato Soul cookbook is known for creating colorful, unique, and easy to make Southern-inspired vegan recipe. Girl, I'm honored to have all of you here tonight. Thank you all, and let's get going. Thank you for being here. If you're on mute, this is when we all come. I'm just gonna do a quick, you know, if you guys wanna say a two seconds something about yourself, this is the time to do it. Yeah, this is so exciting. I wish I could see everyone on the other end, but thank you for having me here. I'm excited to connect and to to be on this panel. Amazing. Yes, I couldn't have said it better. Thank you so much for having us. Um, I'm so honored to be here and I'm so excited to talk to you all and just be among uh, this group of incredible people. Amazing. They already said it better than I could. So (laughs) just seconding and thirding them. Um, but yeah, it, it's really, really great to be here. I'm also just like, wow, I, f- I feel like I'm seeing celebrities in their natural habitat. So, <laughs> so okay, I have one rule tonight and one rule. Rule number one, no modesty. Rule number two, no modesty. You guys are all badasses that have earned your accolades and I need you guys to not be modest tonight. Can right. we get with that? Yes. Okay. So first question to Ms. Stewart. What can you tell us about your experience in being a food and travel journalist? Like, what is that? Talk to us about that. That would never experience that view. Talk to us. Um, I will start by first saying that it's incredible. I feel very, very lucky to be able to do what I'm doing. Um, my career started somewhat, um, not accidentally, but a bit unintentionally. It's very much a product of the pandemic. Um, I finished graduate school right when the pandemic started. Um, I was entering food journalism, but always had an interest in pursuing travel reporting as well. And 
because of the nature of where I was for grad school and where I'm originally from, um, which is Houston, Texas, I was able to essentially split my time between two major cities. Yes, love having um, a fellow Houstonian, Jesse, on the call. Um, and so, you know, being able to split my time between two major cities really allowed for um, both domestic travel as well as eventually international travel, which I'd always been interested in. Um, my work, of course, a lot of it centers around um, the Black diaspora, um, across the world, but I also do a lot of international work um, in other places. I most recently was in Indonesia um, for a story I was really excited about. Um, so it is incredible. Um, I get to meet really wonderful and interesting people. I get to eat amazing things. And I think the favorite part of my job really is that I'm constantly learning, which has always been important for me in my work. Um, I am learning more about this world, um, the people who um, occupy this world and those who are trying to make it a better place um, as well as myself and so I feel very lucky to be able to do that. That is amazing, amazing, amazing and thank you so much for sharing that. Now Jesse, why did you choose food journalism? I think that is such a thing that you don't oftentimes see particularly in our community but I think to have someone that look like me that can say I'm a food journalist, it's inspiring to me, especially someone that's in a food space, you know? So talk to us about why did you choose that? Uh, well, the short answer is that I didn't want to get laid off. So <laughs> always helps make that decision very quickly for you. Um, but in reality, yeah, I, you know, I worked high school newspaper, new journalism was what I wanted to do. So it was just like, okay, how do we figure it out? You know, I'm the only person in my family who has done something that hasn't been hard business just because my family is so focused on just like doing whatever we can to take care of ourselves and each other and like just our, our network. So I'm the first person to do a little something more creative. Um, and because of that, I was like, okay, I just have to make it work. So at first I was focused on doing visual journalism. So literally designing and art directing and like choosing photographers and stuff like that. Um, and then that took me to an internship, which turned into full-time freelancing for the New York Times. And that's when uh, the design department got gutted. Um, and I was like, oh, okay. So I have to start from scratch. And my mentor at the Times was just like, yeah, oh, if there's one thing you do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, oh. I didn't sign up for this. I love a consistent <laughs> paycheck. I love being employed. Um, and that turned into me going to Eater and joining the video team and just saying, I want to learn how every piece of this works, uh, right. editorial, video, and everything. And one thing led to another, and I've been lucky enough to, to still be doing it. Haven't gotten thrown out yet. <laughs> amazing. Amazing. I follow your work. And I keep, I tell, I'm telling all of you guys, I am a fan. And one day, somehow, we will all work together. I don't know how the universe is going to make it happen, but we're going we're to do it. Janae, talk to me, girl. Talk to me. How do you find time to make these amazing videos that got me and my kids like, do you see that, mommy? Can you make it? I'm like, hell no, I can't make that. Why you, you can make it. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, you know, for me, um, I never, I've never really thought of myself much as a writer or a journalist, but it is funny to think about it. Um, like what Jesse just said, doing, he's saying he was doing more of the artistic thing, choosing uh, photographers, doing art direction. And that made me think that's kind of like what I do in my, in my work. And that is a sort of form of journalism as well. Documenting this process of developing recipes and sharing them with the world through photography and my words and, you know, my writing on the blog. And through the cookbook as well, all the research. How do I find time? Um, I don't know. It's so hard. If people always ask, how do you balance? You get, so I'm a single mom, um, working obviously, and running the household. And I don't think there's much of a balance. I think I, I, I look at my life in seasons. So sometimes I am I'm I'm more active um, with my house, or I'm always equally active with my daughter. She's always, you know, you know how that goes. Um, and sometimes I'm more active with certain parts of and components of my business. Um, but I definitely think looking at it as a business is extremely helpful. I used to think of myself much more as a, a freelancer and um, 
when I was a private chef, it was a business thing, but as a blogger, I thought of, I didn't think of it as a business until many years after starting it, but thinking of it, of it as a business definitely helps you take it more seriously and to structure the time you put into it differently. And I think that can be applied, whether you have your own, you know, business as a blogger or a chef or, or, or a writer but it also can be applied if you have a regular job as a writer or journalist. Um, it, it's a certain level of um, also being able to knowing how to outsource, knowing how to ask for help when you don't, when you know you, you maybe aren't the best at something or this isn't your strength or you maybe even don't even have time for it. And so that's how I try to manage it all. I look at what I'm best at, which is making recipes and making money. And everything else I outsource to other people and I'm quick to let people go if it's not working. However, I do take a long time to hire and I have such amazing people who are on my team now who really, they're the ones that help me make it happen. So, oh, but it is a struggle every day. I'm never, I'm not going to say figure it out because I have not. Every day presents a different challenge and I just roll with the punches and try to to, to figure it out as I go and make the most of, of everything. You should see my kitchen. I'm in my kitchen. Do you want to see my kitchen? Why not? Let's go for yeah. it. We're here for it. Um, because, Do it. Because I, okay, I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you. I mentioned filming. I was in the middle of filming a video at like many, many, many hours ago and I never finished it. <laughs> so that happens. It's like, you know, I, I'm, kind, I'm kind with myself. I know I'll finish tomorrow. It's for sweet potato pie that's sitting over there but you like I said you roll with the punches sometimes the day doesn't work out how you planned it to work out however for me at the end of the day I I sit down with my schedule and I plan out okay what am I going to do tomorrow how am I going to complete any tasks that I didn't finish today how am I best how I'm going to make the best use of my time and I don't I don't um if something like I didn't finish filming this video I don't dwell on things like that um, instead, I, I just, I keep going. <laughs> Not holding on to things, I find it to be such an amazing skill. But yeah, to yeah. someone looking on the outside, I thank you guys. I think all of you guys are doing amazing work. I mm -hmm. do. And don't think your hard work that you're putting into your craft is gone unnoticed. Because people like me are inspired by, inspired by the work you all are doing. Right? So now... The next question I have is Ms. Stewart again. As a full and trial reporter, how do you incorporate both into your writing? And what has been your favorite, full or traveling? You know, what, what, what would you pick if you had to? Full, writing, or traveling experience? So that's a really interesting question because I I would say that my love of travel is is very much so rooted in my love of food. So for me, they really are pretty inter interwoven. And, you know, I think it's very much, um, I I'm lucky enough to where I'm able to do, you know, there's certain stories that are essentially uh, primarily food stories. There are certain stories where I'll do where it's specifically um, kind of more travel, you know, a travel angle, whether it's hotels, whether it's adventure um, or whatever the case is. but you know, I think both are so important and both allow for really unique and exciting experiences. I would say that my favorite, um, rather than food or travel, is actually when I get to combine both, when I do get to do food and travel. So, for example, um, as I mentioned, my most recent international trip was to Indonesia, which I actually um, lived there a few years ago. And so this was my first time back since that experience. And in this particular story, I got to dig into the creative culture by way of art um, whether that be music, painting, um, whatever the case is, um, by way of adventure, I got to go on like several volcano, I got to go on a volcano hike and do all of these things and sprained my ankle and got like borderline hypothermia and all the things that you can imagine associated with that, but it was absolutely worth it. And I also ate really well and got to meet a lot of really interesting restaurateurs and chefs that are really trying to amplify their cuisine and their food ways in the region. So I say all that to say, you know, that trip really stands out this year because I got to take advantage of all of my interests. I think um, one of the hard parts I would say about this career is that it can be hard to create boundaries um, because I think, you know, a lot of us love food and a lot of us love travel. And when that becomes your job, 
it gets a little bit more complicated when you're kind of merging um, your pat, you know, work and pleasure, um, for lack of a better phrase. So um, this particular trip really gave me an opportunity to give it to kind of dig into that, like, almost childlike joy of what I love about this career. Um, and that's the work that I hope to continue doing down the road. Great. I'm just going to take over until Adina gets back asking the questions. My next question is for Jesse, and it is, how do you prepare to write a food or restaurant review? Ooh, okay. Great question. Um, so just first, as a disclaimer, I'm not technically a food critic. I'm not technically reviewing for anyone. Um, but I I have done a lot of coverage on various restaurants. And like the things that I try to consider is just first, like who are the people in this story? Like, are they... Um, like a family of people who are kind of doing this for the first time, starting from scratch, figuring out the the ins and outs of the industry and saying, hey, this is our first time, but we have some dang good food. Or from there, I'll also look at like, okay, what parts of the city are we in? Like, are we covering places that have great PR and tons of money and end up getting covered over and over and over again? Or are they places that, you know, have really great, food cultures that just haven't been given their due. Um, and then from there, I, I just think a lot about like, okay, what is the actual story? Like, is there depth and is there nuance there? Are we retelling something that we've already heard? Or are we telling a story the same way it's been told before, just because it's been told that way before, you know? So that's, that's a lot of what goes into my kind of thinking. Mm -hmm. And also, really impacts and informs the the stories that I end up commissioning to. Okay, got it. That sounds interesting. I had worked at a newspaper um, and they had food critics on staff and they had a policy where the food critics would have to visit a restaurant two or three times. That way they could give them a more balanced review because, you know, you could go in on a night where the chef called out sick and so did like four other sous chefs or something and they just had a horrible night. And then you grade them like a C or a D and it's not like an accurate portrayal of the kitchen as opposed to if you went in on a good night and you might give them like an A minus or a B. So I'm always interested in how um, critics or food writers, how they assess people and stuff like that. Um, so my next question is for um, Janae. It is, you have been featured on the Today Show and so many other outlets. How did those opportunities come about? Well, um, very organically. However, now that I'm thinking, I'm sitting here thinking about, because I just love how intertwined all of our, our, our careers are. Um, I'm a blogger, you know, so I do a little bit of, I like make videos eating at restaurants. And when I travel, though, don't get me wrong, I'm not a food journalist. I am not a restaurant uh, critic. I am definitely, I bow down to you guys. Um, but anyway, as far as like getting press, it's been very organic, just putting myself out there um, through social media, the blog, the newsletter. I don't know how, I don't know how much that amplifies my reach for PR, but YouTube channel, putting myself out there, making sure that the people who are, you know, the producers on these TV shows, the editors in these magazines and publications know who I am. Um, though I will say, I started my blog in 2010, and it really, really started kicking off in 2016. Um, and now that, and back then I was, I, there were not as many vegan bloggers, period. Um, and now veganism, as you all know, has expanded so much There's so many more blogs and so many more people to discover through social media and do blogs and, and um, and everything. But now I'm, I have these great relationships with people like producers of the, the Today Show and editors of New York Times, Washington Post. And so it's very important to stay in touch and to continue those relationships that I might have built back in the past and sort of take it, you know, take it for granted. Oh, I know this person. But now there are so many more people. There's, I don't like to think of 
um, I, I like to think I'm my biggest competition. I don't like to look at other vegan bloggers or bloggers in general as competition, but there are more people for these editors and such to call. So it is important to stay top of mind to continue offering them value. Just like I offer my, um, you know, my, my followers on social media value offer value to these publishers and producers as well. Reach out to them, um, share whatever you're working on with them, be useful to them in some way, because as we know, they're always looking for content too. So what, how can I best provide that content that they might be looking for and new ideas to, because I mean, you know, they're, they're constantly coming up with ideas for shows and how can I best understand their, their TV show, if it's a TV show, or publication, if it's a newspaper or magazine, and best serve them. That is so, so, so important. Um, it's a symbiotic relationship. It's, you know, I help you, you help me in a way. It, that sounds like so tit for tat. It's not tit for tat, but it is certainly a relationship and one that you should, you know, maintain and 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 really value, just like a friendship. Absolutely, yeah. You have to cultivate it. It's not just something that happens um mm -hmm. okay um my next question is for Kayla um since we're in an era where black girl luxury is really emphasized and celebrated can you talk about some of your really good dining experiences and what are some do's and don'ts for writing or blogging about these types of places Yes, um, I've had some wonderful dining experiences. Um, I have been, this past month, I've been both on the road in the South and in New York. So I'll, I'll stick to some restaurants I've recently been to in particular that have been particularly memorable. Um, Nura in Brooklyn was fabulous. And one of my favorite dinners I've had in a very long time in New York City, um, which is where I'm based. Um, I also had an excellent breakfast at Winson, um, which is a Taiwanese bakery. And they actually, it's a restaurant and bakery. And um, the Fantom was fantastic. It's like this pork sticky rice roll that's just delicious. And um, I had this red rice donut and just everything there is fantastic. Um, in Houston, I have to have to give a shout out to Squabble, which is one of my favorite um, dinners in the city now to grab when I'm in town. Um, and in New Orleans, Mosquito Supper Club is a place that I go to every time I am in the city, if I can get a reservation. Um, it is always like a dinner I have to save up for well before I get to New Orleans, but it's always worth it. Um, so these are just a few of the recent dining experiences that I've had that have been fantastic. Um, but I'll also shout out one that I had last week, um, Famous Fish Market, which is actually, they were the subject of my first story for the New York Times. Um, and I want to particularly shout them out because I love the idea of Black girl luxury, but I also love that my job like allows me to go to restaurants kind of uh, built and established in different ways. So, you know, I get to go to the places that are um, a bit more of the fine dining type, but I also get to go to restaurants where it is a bit more, you know, it's smaller, it's family owned and very communal. And I, I, for me, that is a part that is actually luxurious for me to just get to experience all these different places and all of these different ways that people are communicating about their food um, and culture. Um, so yeah, those are some places on my mind. When it comes to writing, the funny, I actually just had this conversation with a friend. There are places that I love and actually really don't want to write about because I don't want other people to like take over. <laughs> and all of a sudden this place like becomes impossible to get into. But I also of course want them to do well. But yeah, that said, again, I think it does come down, you know, there are definitely um, many restaurants that I'll go to that'll be part of my coverage, but I also, you know, try and set up boundaries. If there are places where, you know, I have a really close relationship with a chef or something, you know, I may pass that information to another writer or, you know, um, there are cases where, you know, I have reported on chefs and then all of a sudden our relationship becomes potentially collaborative. And so, you know, at that point, um, you know, they're essentially out of my coverage at that stage. So, you know, it's really about um, really, you know, I think Janae brought, brought up such a good point. This industry really does sort of operate on relationships and it's important to both maintain those relationships but also make sure that you're maintaining the boundaries that you need so both parties can do their job. So these are things that I think about in my writing. And, you know, as I'm um, talking about these places, um, something I try to make sure is key in my writing is that it's never it's really just about the food you know 
I love the deliciousness of whatever dish I'm trying or pastry or whatever the case is, but um, per, I really want to know, you know, the backstory. I want to know the history. I want to know why this is significant to this particular culture. I want to know, you know, if this place played a role in certain movements. So those are the types of things that I try to write about in those store in my stories, and those are often the types of restaurants that I'm thus reporting on and really interested and engaged in. That's really interesting, and it sounds great. Um, my next question is for Jesse. Um, as a writer and a podcaster, what has been one of the challenges in your field? Ooh, okay. So first, I gotta say, Kayla's taste immaculate. Um, second. Um, I, I think one of the biggest challenges for me as I'm kind of keeping feet in, in, in two different worlds is just maintaining those boundaries and just becoming okay with being misunderstood. You know, I think a lot of times when we are in various roles that can be super visible or can be easily critiqued or can, you know, seem like a thousand different things at any given moment. Um, it's very easy to overextend, overexplain, add another calendar invite, accept that, you know, 6.30, like, meeting with your boss or your manager to talk through X, Y, or Z. And sometimes you just have to get to a point of just saying, I, you know, that's not actually within my working hours. I can do it at another time. And I don't have to give a reason. I don't have to, you know, say, oh, it's because I'm I'm feeling sick or X, Y, or Z. Like, no is enough like no is that complete sentence and sometimes that also means like really taking the time to work on a story or explain why you know certain edits or certain writers are essential to a piece or a project um and just really just saying like okay like at the end of the day this person needs to write this story or like this thing needs to happen and you know if another editor needs to take that on, great. If I, if we are tag teaming and we switch a story in between and I hop in for the second round or someone else hops in for the second round, all of that is in service to the story and all of it is justifiable on its own. And we don't have to apologize or, you know, add the footnotes yeah. <laughs> um, as a lot of people do just to make it worthwhile. I think that's a great point you raised both professionally and personally is to like stop explaining yourself like no period you know like it's a great way to establish boundaries both in work and personal life because I feel like especially as black journalists we always want to you know placate people or overextend ourselves and sometimes you just can't it's not physically possible and it's okay that's okay too um Janae, um, it's been important to you to promote clean eating and healthier plant-based diets. How has that helped make your brand unique? And what, what type of advice can you give to other bloggers or people starting out to build their own unique brand? Oh, uh, that's a good question. So when I uh, first became vegan, I became vegan for animals, ethical vegan, 100%. However, quickly I started realizing the health benefits of it as well. And I mean, I'm just an anecdote. When I became vegan, I had been my entire life. I was, it was 11 and a half years ago now. My entire life I had dealt with stomach issues. I'd been in doctors and medicine, tried every diet, clearly not every diet because I hadn't tried this one. Cut out all sorts of food, but I never cut out, you know, dairy. The thing I knew I was sensitive to when I became vegan, all of my problems for that, you know, so much of my life have gone away. I've been vegan for 11 and a half years. So that convinced me that there's something to the health benefits here. And, um, and when I went vegan, I wasn't doing it. Um, you know, like I, I learned about like animal agriculture. So I became vegan. But at that time in my life, I was an actress and I was feeling very, um, you know, like aimless, not sure what I really wanted to do because that's not something I really wanted to do. And becoming vegan helped me figure out, oh, this is it. This is my purpose. But I knew it wasn't just about help people become vegan because I had gone through that health, you know, like improvement as well. I realized, okay, 
help people become vegan for the animals, for the planet, but also to do it in a way that is more supportive for your health, which in my eyes makes it more sustainable as well, because who wants to eat delicious vegan food and then end up unhealthy and not feeling their very best. So it is since day one, since I decided to like pursue this as a actual career, it has been to help people become vegan and healthiest way possible, but also more importantly, the most delicious way. So for me, it's all about how can I, how can I make meals? How can I make food that is incredibly delicious and beautiful and approachable and, and um, that people will look at and say, oh yeah, I know these ingredients. I know how to buy them. I can make this at home, but also is good for you. Now, I don't, you know, now it's like, I'm speaking to people. I'm not trying to um, proselytize to people and be like, everybody needs to go vegan. I have a majority of my audience is not vegan and they, you know, they're on some sort of journey, but it's usually not, it, it's more likely to be a health journey than a vegan journey. They're more likely to be following me and making my recipes to make themselves feel better than to become vegan. So yeah, it's a big, it's very important to me. Um, especially being a black person, especially, um, having, you know, I have, I come from a family, like probably most all of us. So I have all with all these like, um, pre-existing conditions, I have all the top killers in my family. Um, so I'm trying to, and of course, you know, African-Americans, we have higher likelihood of like every top, all the top killers, heart disease, number one, and even, you know, diseases like COVID-19, we are suffering disproportionately from those things. So my approach is how can I make it easier for us? How can I make it more approachable for us? And it is always top of mind. I will say not all my recipes are totally healthy, especially, especially if you have my cookbook, because my cookbook, the idea behind that was to veganize soul food. Um, I wanted to do it in a healthier way, but I certainly, I'm not like, I'm, there's plenty of fried food in there. There's plenty of sugar in there. Don't look at my lemonade recipe. Uh, there's plenty of less healthy things, but I do try to, my big thing that I tell people all the time uh, in the book, in conversation, on my blog, is don't try to be perfect because nobody's perfect. However, an 80-20 way of eating is wonderful. I'm 100% vegan. That's the one thing I'm 100% at. But, you know, even when I eat, 80% of the time, I'm eating wholesome, unprocessed foods. And then 20% of the time, I will indulge on, you know, lots, you know, sugar and processed foods and things like that. And no matter how you look at it, vegan or not, you can approach life that way. And I think most of us as Americans, we have it the opposite way. It's 20% of the time we're striving to eat our vegetables and eat, you know, get our daily serving of fruit in because 80% of the time we are not doing that. We're not taking care of ourselves. So as Americans, but specifically as Black Americans, I'm just trying to make it easier and more fun and um, yeah, more, more sustainable for us to take care of ourselves. Absolutely. <laughs> My next question is for everyone. Um, how do you recommend someone start their journey in this field? Jesse, I'll start with you. Ooh, okay. I get to go first and give the easiest answer. Um, <laughs> read, read as much as you can, as many places as you can, like, but not just read, like actually notice some of the differences in the approaches. Like I, a lot of people can get so overwhelmed by the mere concept of pitching, like the nuances of, okay, do I write a full outline? Do I just write a blurb? Is it a paragraph? What kind of paragraph? How many sentences in a paragraph? Like it can just become so much so quickly. So I always just like recommend that people start by just reading and thinking about, okay, what are the types of stories I tend to see? Are there product stories that I can really focus on? And also make sure that you're not only looking at like the 10,000 word feature stories or, you know, the, the prestige stories or the award stories, like look at what's in the front of the book or the front of the magazine, you know, what are some of the shorter blogs, like can you write 
succinctly. And maybe that's the place to start. And then the other thing I would really, really recommend is like, really think about networking laterally. Like a lot of people really love to, um, sorry, almost curse, got to keep it, got to keep it PG for the team. Um, but a lot of people really do fixate on, you know, the aspirational titles or the titles that sound so cool instead of saying like, hey, I'm a freelancer. I see that, you know, this other person is a freelancer and they write for this one outlet a lot. Maybe I can send them an email and say, hey, how has your experience been working here? Do they turn around invoices in a timely fashion? Do the editors actually support you? Like how much are they communicating? And sometimes even pitching the editorial assistants. Like I think, and this is kind of an unpopular opinion, but editorial assistants are also oftentimes some of the most, uh, depending on depending on the place, they can be some of the most well-connected positions in the industry. And they can put a lot of ears and or a lot of ideas into people's ears that may not have happened the other way. So I would just say, always feel free to like check in with anybody. Don't think that you are above or below anyone. And just also say like, hey, I see like you just got your first piece in this place. You know, if someone's shouting it out on Twitter, say, hey, I read your piece. I loved it. You know, I love to hear what your thinking was and how your experience was like it really is such a communal thing. And it's it, it's not just your responsibility to get it perfect on that first time. Like there is so much grace that comes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Kayla, do you wanna answer next? Sure, of course, Jesse took my answer, which is, which is fine because he answered it much better than I could have. But um, no, I think I would suggest to um, folks trying to enter this industry to not feel like they have to, I don't want to say not enter it wholeheartedly. I, I want them to feel empowered to write about food while writing about other things. And I say that because when you're first starting in this industry, it takes some time to get your pitches accepted. And so if this is your source of income or whatever the case is, like you probably are, it's going to take some time to build that sort of network to make this something, um, that you can really rely on. Um, so don't be afraid to write about other things. You know, if you have another skill or another interest, like pitch multiple places, um, not only in terms of being able to sustain yourself, but also because those bylines matter. Being able to write in other places is important when you're trying to pitch yourself to different, different editors. Um, but it also expands your writing skills. I think um, to lean into reading and writing as well, I think it's so important to read from other industries outside of food and to just... Um, look at content outside of the world that you're in. So you're um, both inspired, but also learning from other sources. So um, I would say that the same applies in terms of the assignments that you're taking on um, and just making sure that you're as diverse and um, as versatile of a, of a candidate as possible for potential jobs or stories. Okay, great. And last, but certainly, certainly not least, if you wanted to weigh in, Janae. Yeah, so I'll say it from um, the blogger perspective. Um, my goodness, consistency, <laughs> post, 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 post. It's so important. And um, I think it's also important to not wait until you have X thing. Um, I had this conversation earlier today with someone and and she said that I'm working on, I'm working on it so that I can get more consistent so that I can post consistently. And I said, okay, well, that's that's your thing. Just post, be in perfect now, be inconsistent now, that's fine, but you need to post. We're talking about blogging, you need to post. And then that's, you, you build the muscle to start posting consistently. Um, so I think that would apply to having a blog, like a URL or doing social media. Um, and not waiting for yourself to be perfect because in the meantime, while you are, no one's ever perfect, but while you are building this brand, while you are um, becoming better at writing, at photography, at um, developing recipes, whatever it may be, you are also building that muscle of, you know, knowing that I have to post, how does it work to, to, to um, build a post um, 
And that's really going to pay off long-term. That's, I think that has a lot to do with how I'm successful. It's because when I started my blog, I did it as a hobby. First off, I didn't care if I made any mistakes because I didn't think anybody was looking at it anyway. <laughs> so why not post who's judging me? And then I just never stopped because it was always fun for me. And eventually people started taking notice and likewise with social media and people started taking notice. And then here I am today. And I know so much more now. I'm so, I was such a bad photographer, bad writer in the beginning, but now I'm like pretty good because I did that. I made those mistakes. We didn't notice any of that. Oh, don't go. I have archived a lot of my old photos. Okay. In my old videos. Oh my God. I've archived them. <laughs> but nobody noticed nobody was looking so why not do it <laughs> yeah yeah got it adina we're just on the last two questions i you don't know, know i'm taking my job back girl i want my yes. job back. <laughs> yes, okay it's all yours I want my job back <laughs> okay here's one you. for everyone why is it so important to have black food journalism how do you think your experience has been different than your counterpart I'll start with anyone and I can tell you guys, I appreciate it. I, you know, now we're in the world of where we're review every day, but it add another level to it. When you have someone that's professional review your restaurant or give you a critic, you know, how do, why do you guys think it's so important to normalize you guys, the creators, the journalism, why is it so important to normalize that? Who want to go first, Jesse, Kayla? Sure, I'll okay, jump Kayla, um, go ahead. I, yes, sure. Um, so I think I'll start with exactly um, what you just said, which is kind of this appreciation for it. Um, this has actually happened more recently than ever, which has been really nice. Um, during a couple of interviews I've had at the end, um, the sources have actually thanked me. And I'll, I'll kind of ask them, you know, if they have anything else to add. And I'm expecting them to talk about whatever it is I'm asking them, but they actually like have thanked me profusely for taking time to get to know their story and, you know, to come to their restaurant or, or, or come to their home or whatever the case is. And it was a reminder that not only is this work important, it significantly matters to people. Um, it matters to them to have their stories told, to have them recorded and reported in these publications and to feel like they have been respectfully and properly reported on and that their story was told in um you know a rigorous and ethical way so i think um from that perspective it's extremely important from another just basic perspective as a black woman it is imperative that our stories are told um not only in food but in other in other aspects of the world as well um it is critical that these stories are told because so for so many years, um, this country has tried to make sure that they were not told, right? So it's also just important from that perspective. Um, and yeah, I think, you know, from just a standpoint in terms of future generations, being able to capture um, this information, being able to showcase who we are as a people is going to influence people down the road. Um, I think for me, in terms of what have I faced that's different from other journalists, I think, um, and you know, I would imagine that a lot of other Black reporters would feel the same way. Um, black food has been underrepresented for a long time in food media, food in the food establishment. Um, and I consider myself still very much a newcomer. Like, there's so many Black folks who have done the work to allow me to be on this panel right now. Um, Tony Tipton Martin, Dr. Jessica Harris, Alexander Smalls, all of these people have been doing this work for decades um, and are the reason why we're all able to have these conversations. Um, and they were the ones who were truly there by themselves. And so, you know, we are still um, a minority in this industry, but we are growing from the travel industry for sure. I know for a fact that I am very much so one of the few black faces. Um, food media has slowly started to change. Travel media is very much still um, predominantly white, predominantly, um, it's predominantly sourced by people who come from wealthy backgrounds, which is not my story. Um, and that absolutely matters in terms of who can take these jobs and assignments. I've been able to figure out a very weird pathway to get to this point to kind of make it work. But it, the way that it is structured has absolutely kept journalists of color out. Um, so my experience have, has differed from white journalists in that way. And I hope that that changes um, in the future for future Black journalists in this world. 
Excellent. Jesse, I'd like to hear from you, especially being an eater. You know, you guys are so sought after. And it got to be refreshing when you go like, I'm someone that's trying to grow the hottest soul food brand in the country. And it kills me when I have to educate people on our food, right? So talk to me what, you know, what your journey has been like in terms of being probably one of the only in your, you know, probably where you work at, but who knows? I may be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, well, first, thank you. Very, very kind. I can't take that much credit. Like, again, I'm still new to Did some of this. Said no modesty. Um, I have one rule and one rule only. <laughs> okay, no okay. modesty. So, sorry, that's strike one. After this, you can just eject me and we'll be good to go. Um, but I, I I think Kayla really nailed it. I think in a lot of ways, it's not necessarily about being the only one. It's being one person who thinks about the entire community and the community that it took to get you into that room in the first place. Like I'm, I, I too am the result of so many people who stayed late and showed up early just so that they could give me a chance so that I could even get a foot in the door in the first place. Like I started working with a professor, Susan Mango Curtis, when I was in college at Northwestern University. I was one of three black men admitted in my class that year. I was one of two to graduate. Um, and, you know, from there, there was like the now Dean Charles Whitaker, who was just a professor who like sponsored the student chapter of an ABJ and had us over to his house over like Thanksgiving. And I could I could just go on and on and on, but it's just like, it's those people that even made sure that I could even get here in the first place. But then also um, kind of from the editor's perspective, it's also so much a matter of just thinking about, okay, what are, what are the ways that like food media is just doing the thing that it knows to do kind of on, on autopilot um, and how do how do I change that how do I break it from my end and do the things that I can do you know like there have been projects and packages that I've been roped into and when like the train has already taken off like they're in full speed and going and I'm just like hey so we need to assign twice as many stories and partially just because like the core people of the stories we're trying to tell here are not the people who are writing these stories. And that's not always intentionally malicious, but that doesn't mean that it's okay. That doesn't mean that we can let it slide either. You know, so um, I think in a lot of ways, it's more about just saying, okay, other people have opened the door for me and for us. So like, it's my responsibility to make sure that that door stays open or that the door gets wider and that it's not just about like, okay, you know, six people can get in or six people have done X, Y, or Z, and now it's just us. And then for how my experience differentiates from my counterparts, I think it's a lot of like being hypercognizant of the stakes at any given moment, you know, being hypercognizant of like, okay, you know what? It's not ideal, but I'm going to stay and do whatever I got to do. I like, I would be lying if I said I didn't have nights where I stayed at the office until nine, 10, 11 regularly and then was first person in the office at 8 45 the next morning like it's a lot of just being cognizant of like okay so the pitches that I have I know I have a limited amount of time at a publication then I gotta go for it you know so that means having a lot of very big you know stressful meetings with department heads at Condé Nast when I was an editorial assistant with my friend Rye who was assistant to the editor-in-chief and the two of us being the only black people on staff saying, okay, hey, you know, it's not cool to just not actually seriously consider the role that diversity plays in the video content that's going on or like how white so many of like some of these cover stories tend to be. Like, yeah. why is it that the, the double center spreads end up being, you know, always focused on other things. And then when it's like, oh, here's a party or like, oh, you know, black people know how to, how to throw a shindig in the Caribbean kind of thing. It's like, okay, well, why, why do we only get a one page spread or a two page spread max? So it's just about showing up as much as I can and still knowing that, yes, I know the stakes, but it's not my responsibility to carry by myself. Janae, do you want to chime in here and bless us? I think that 
it's so important being a creator. I think that it's so important to see little girls see themselves into you, right? Like, you know, I have a very artsy daughter. Having, you know, when she's on my, you know, Instagram, like, look here, she's a black woman, she, you know. So tell us what does, what has that, you know, meant for you? Because I think the space that you occupy is very, very needed. And you're doing it in such a classic, healthy, unique way. So talk to us about what that journey has been like for you. Yeah, I think, well, for me, that's one of the things that I would say gets me, keeps me going. Um, I'm, I'm very passionate about food and I love my job. I love all the, most of the aspects of it, but you know, it can be very discouraging sometimes, especially having to deal with social media and, and being so busy and trying to juggle it all. But when I hear from people who tell me you helped me become vegan or you helped me start my blog or some people are like, there's, I'll tell you one person in particular, I'm a big fan of this, this person, their recipes, amazing videos, vegan food content. And they told me that I'm the reason they became vegan years ago. And here I am posting my little crappy videos on YouTube and like, but I, I was making an impact and that person now has a huge following and we're friends now. And, but just to see that a seed that I, I could say a seed that I planted or a, a someone who I affected, I should say, who has been able to have a huge impact as well, you know, that's what makes me keep going. Um, I think of it as the, the ripple effect. Um, so that's, yeah, that's why it's very important because you never know who's watching. You never know what, what impact they can have on someone else or many, many other people. And I always keep that front and center of mind, especially when things get hard. <laughs> awesome. I just want to, sorry, I just want to try to get to some of the attendee questions. A couple of people had questions. Um, someone wrote in the chat for each panelist, question for each panelist. If you can take one historical or famous person, dead or alive, to dinner, who are you taking? Where are you going? And what one dish are you sharing? All right, Jesse, I'm going to start with you. Who are you taking to dinner? Hi, yes, I'd like to report being bullied. Um, I'm being personally attacked and singled out. Um, I'm joking, I'm joking. Um, I think I would have to say, uh, I would love to have Jollof at Toni Morrison's house. Um, there was a story about it, about how her house just smelled like Jollof, and I, ever since I read it, I was just like, you know what, I gotta go, like, she will probably just drag me in and just have a great time and just lovingly call me in, but also just be like, respectfully, <laughs> get it together a little bit, um, and I welcome it enthusiastically. Janae? This is one of my least favorite questions, because I never have an answer. I don't know. Uh <laughs> I'm a huge Toni Morrison fan, actually. So can I also be at that dinner? I will bring the vegan jollof if necessary. Um, but oof, I don't know. I, I'm really bad at that. I, anybody. Uh, when honestly, I, it's hard for me to think of like a famous person. I always just think of, oh, I would love to do it with my grandmother who died when I was 11, who, you know, I had this relationship with up until that point. And then now I mean, I'm 35 to be able to cook for her would be so incredible. And I would probably make her my oyster mushroom etouffee. Um, and I just have so many questions, but yeah. <laughs> Kayla, you're it. <laughs> okay, so I think the person I would take is Jerry Major, who is an inspiration to me. So she was a very famous black woman. Um, she was kind of like a socialite slash community organizer slash journalist, but kind of the original travel journalist. Um, she wrote for um, various Black publications and just was like all around the globe and doing incredible things and hung out with many people, including, I'm pretty sure, Toni Morrison. Um, she was just a part of that crew. Um, I would probably take her to, so New Orleans, in case you all can't tell, is probably my favorite place to eat in the country. Um, I would probably take her to Willie Mae's Scotch House, which I... Um, was just at and just um, absolutely um, talk about everywhere she's been and more um, over a plate of fried chicken and butter beans which 
my grandma if my grandmother knew that i was ordering butter beans at a restaurant she would like lose her mind but that's how good they are because they are just unreal so yeah that's my answer okay we have i would take i think i would take madam cj walker I think I'm gonna take Madam CJ Walker at Cornbread in Brooklyn and have my partner, who is the chef that come up with all the five recipes, Zadie, and her talk. And I just sit at their foot and just listen. Yeah. Okay, we have two, three other questions. We'll try to get to all of them before. I don't know if like we'll get shut down at eight, but hopefully not. Nakia, you had a question for a little while. Um, I'm a college, I'm a college student journalist right now, and I was wondering, so I live in, I go to um, Georgia State University, so I'm in the heart of Atlanta, so um, as like a college student journalist, like how should I go about like restaurants and like asking them, you know, can I, um, you know, can I review your food for, you know, the publications that I'm writing for and that I serve as a contributor for? Like, how do I go about that? Who want to take it? Um, Janae, you want to take that? Because you're in Atlanta, too. I am in Atlanta. I'm not much of a restaurant foodie, but um, I am in Atlanta. So, I don't, I, you know, I, I will say we're always hiring, too. So, we don't do much restaurant stuff, though, but... <laughs> I see a little connection. I, I see a little spark. <laughs> I went to Georgia State for a year also. Oh, I see another okay. connection. Yes. Yes, I did. Um, yeah, I don't I, I I would I would send it to one of the other two, uh Kayla or Jesse, but um I would just I would assume the restaurants would be totally game for that, but <laughs> Jesse, what you got? I actually want to defer to Kayla first. Um, I think she's a perfect person to answer this. Kayla, that's okay. you want to go? Sure, sure. So my, um, and I'll actually say my initial first contact with actually reporting on restaurants was in college and it was through an internship. Um, it was, a ma it's a magazine still there. It's called Houstonia Magazine. It was my first internship in college. Um, I actually, I believe I, I was there for kind of general reporting, but I think I just kind of asked if I could do a rodeo assignment. I believe rodeo is huge in Texas. Um, Rodeo Houston's massive um, and that turned into me kind of doing smaller pieces for them you know I would do some, the greatest places to get sushi in Houston the best places to eat I think I did a story actually on black food um, I, uh, and so um, I would encourage you to definitely seek out internships um, in in college look for the paid ones um, because they're they should be paid um mm -hmm. so if they are not absolutely, absolutely absolutely yes, absolutely you're getting school credit for it so one or the other but do mm -hmm. not do work labor for free um you deserve to be paid mm -hmm. um but yes yeah, seek out internships that allow you to do that kind of work um and again again i think um in your particular case um starting by pitching different places um yes. and being able to go to restaurants and have that credibility you know i'm writing for xyz publication mm -hmm. they will be more likely to respond to you and to be willing to interview with you yes fonda you had a question as well yes <clears throat> excuse me yes hello everyone um <clears throat> excuse me <clears throat> um my question is i know that being in the food is also a business so my question is to be you being you have different ways of dealing with food when you go if the ones that go to a restaurant what is expected i mean are you do you get free food all the time or you have to pay for part of it or mm -hmm. how does the business side of it work to get compensation? Hmm. Um, Kayla, you want to take that? Jesse, you want to take that? I'm actually, I'm going to throw it to Jesse because I feel, yeah, because you're, because, and I'm throwing it because I'm a freelancer. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, I'll throw it to you first. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Patty, we'll let it, we'll let it slide. Um, but yeah, I think, okay, so being on staff at a place has a lot of privileges and benefits. Um, so not everyone at every publication has a dining budget, but um, at Eater specifically, we really make sure that we're not taking, you know, uh, we're not going into any dining situation expecting or feeling entitled to any type of free food at all. Um, if anything, we also kind of push our 
editors and writers to really make sure that they're compensating people not only fairly and adequately, but like also well, you know, so making sure that they're not necessarily just leaving a 10% tip, but actually leaving at least a 20% tip, making sure that they're actually responding to service staff well and actually engaging with people and treating them like people and not just like, oh, I have a title that entitles me to be treated like X, Y, or Z. Um, and in terms of just like how we might approach it if we're thinking about just general standards or whether we might cover a place, it's always with the question of curiosity. So like, for instance, a lot of editors at Eater will make sure that they're not necessarily going in and like broadcasting, like, oh, hey, I'm working on a story here. Da, 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 da. Like more often than not, like if you can get in and out and have no one even bat an eyelash at you, ideal. Like you have done it right. Because at the end of the day, you are a person who deserves to have a meal that is going to be as close to how anyone else might experience that restaurant. You know, so if you're expecting compensation in the form of food or free drinks or anything like that, like we are not James Corden. We are not messing around with that stuff. We are not making people's lives hell just so we can have fake social clout for a few minutes. Um, so that that's the biggest thing. It's like, go with curiosity, you know, see what happens. Hopefully it's great. If it's not, that's also important to know because that means that you might save someone else who, you know, has been saving up all week or all month to go to that place and really just wants an honest gauge of what their experience is going to be. Quality experience, quality yeah. food experience. Um, Christina had a question for you, Kayla. Her question was, um, she said she loves your stories. I have a question about your process. How are you planning yourself out and keeping organized? How are you developing your story ideas and turning them into pitches? I'm trying to work on finding those more niche stories and see these larger patterns. Thank you. So I'll answer the first, the second question first because I admittedly am not the most organized. I'm trying to work on that right now. So that is something I am, it's a work in progress. Um, but when it comes to uh, story ideas and pitching, um, I'll go back to something I said earlier. I read a lot. Um, so as I've loved to read all of my life um, and I've used it to my benefit. Um, I um, read fiction and nonfiction. I read the, obviously a lot of food writing, but also non-food writing. Um, and that for me is very inspirational. I'm um, just taking in different art, whether it's film or um, reading literature or whatever the case is for me um, is both inspiring, but also just gives me ideas. Um, I also just have a mind where like 9,000 things are going on constantly. So I just, I, I can't, to be honest, it's kind of natural for me to come up with ideas. Um, I often have too many that I'm kind of working on. Um, a way that I kind of keep track of them, I will say is, you know, I think a lot of people, what I will say is my pitches are rarely just immediately formed. A lot of times it is from, you know, maybe I had dinner with a friend and a dish capture, you know, a dish captures my attention or conversation uh, makes me think of something. You know, I won't be able to form a two or three paragraph pitch at dinner. What I can do, however, is use my notes app and just kind of write down one word or one sentence or something that allows me to remember that. And when I'm feeling like it's time for me to pitch again, I refer to that list and I'm able to kind of look at things and remember things and take those notes and form them into actual pitches. Um, so again, a lot of this is really just by by living and, you know, um, digesting uh, art and, and conversations and, and interacting with people and traveling. Um, in terms of planning it out and keeping organized, it is complicated um, and is a whole other conversation to be honest, especially because I'm doing food and travel. But what I will say is at this stage, I'm doing kind of larger feature stories that require that general. So generally when I'm pitching a story, it's not necessarily like a breaking news story. It's something that might run several months from now. So I'm kind of right now, I'm actually already starting to pitch for next year um, because I'm kind of not really trying to take on a lot of work for the remainder of the year because I haven't a lot of work to finish. Um, but yeah, I kind of am planning myself out now kind of months in advance um, for kind of feature stories that I'd like to do and kind of bigger story ideas that I have with different publications. And then I guess we'll just kind of close out, go around. Um, I start with uh, Janae, you know, close out, leave us with, you know, something inspiring. And what I would propose to us and I'm gonna create something <coughs> 
a, a gathering or something, maybe in Houston, maybe in Atlanta, maybe Brooklyn. We, you know, let's plan something. So, Janae, you go. Um, I think believe in yourself, have confidence in yourself, um, and don't be afraid of making mistakes. Oh, I love that. I love that. Jesse, you? I would just say stick with it, you know? Um, just remind yourself that like, this is a marathon, not a sprint. You don't have to be perfect right out the gate, stealing a little bit from Janae, but also like really keep in mind that, you know, even when it doesn't feel like no one's paying attention, like I assure you, people are reading, people are watching, people are taking the things that they learned from you and, and applying it to their own lives, you know? So don't think that just because you haven't gotten a specific thing approved or you don't feel like you're at a milestone that you should be that nothing's happening or that there's not traction there awesome i love that last and not least <laughs> yes um i would just uh add just always remember that you belong here and not only do you belong here but that what you have to say matters and should it needs to be said um and yeah that's about it Thank you to our panelists. You guys were amazing. You guys did an awesome job. Um, thank you guys that joined us, that took your time out today to join us. Um, I can only say, wow, amazing, amazing. Let's continue on this journey of being great to inspire people and show them nothing but black excellence every day. Make your ancestors proud. Thank you guys. A special thanks to our panelists. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and give the sidebar a great review. A reminder that the opinions discussed on the podcast belong solely to the individual and do not reflect the views of the New York Association of Black Journalists. For more information on NYABJ, please visit our website at www.nyabj.org. Music is by Holizna Raps.